you would please open to Matthew chapter 5. We are going to be uh, using one verse, the first beatitude, to be able to frame our, <clears throat> our morning in terms of what it means in the concept of pursuing God, the series that we've been in this year. Uh, pursuing God, but this first beatitude encapsulates so much of a concept that for us walking out, discipleship really, really, really matters. It's crucial. Just to recap where we've been thus far in our series, started uh, looking at what, what it means to follow hard after God. There is a, there's a reality that we, we are called up to the Lord. We are called up in, in terms of getting a hold of who God is in a way that we want more of him. And so we, we follow hard, we cling to him and in, in trust and faith, but we also lay hold of him. When we do that, we taste and see that the Lord is good. And last week we considered uh, running while looking, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, that we're looking to Jesus. And, and understand this, uh, there's a race that's set before us, and God calls each of us to fulfill the mission and the purpose uniquely for our lives that he wants us to fulfill. So that means this, you have a purpose on this planet for God, that every day we are fulfilling to varying degrees, but every day we are fulfilling. And look, it's, it's sometimes right and proper to have a calm day, and that fulfills the race that we have that day, as long as it's by faith. It's not only the days that everything and the chaos of life crashes in, and then we, we realize, oh, I, I had faith that day, so I must be increasing in my knowledge of God and my running the race for Jesus. No, we, we run the race, we fulfill God's plan for us and his glorious purpose in every category, every day, no matter what the day brings. But today... We will consider what it means to live a life of full surrender before the Lord. Matthew 5, verse 3. Jesus says, Blessed are the pure, sorry, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Holy Spirit, help us. Look at the connection that Jesus is making. Poor. And kingdom of heaven. How much is the kingdom of heaven? It's a lot. But blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is a, this is a spiritual principle that shows up all over Scripture. That when you give up, you gain everything. When you have nothing, that's when you have everything. So Jesus is going after a poor in spirit. It's a posture but it also, it's a posture that, that shows up in the categories of our lives. If you look at our, our series graphic with mountains, I don't know if you've ever wondered, or maybe, maybe mountain climbing is appealing to you. I say it that way because it's not too appealing to me. Because it's hard. Like, you realize mountain climbers, to reach a summit could just take a helicopter and like, just be done with it. Yep, at the summit, we did it. 
But they don't do that. Why don't mountain climbers do that? Because there's something that comes, and we do this in different, in varying categories of our lives. We test ourselves to see if we can do something. And mountain climbers, they, they bring a test to their own character to see what they can do. And so mountain climbers are more interested in efficiency than they are in the conquest. See, a lot of times we, we are more interested in the destination of our race before God and with God than we are about the journey of discovering him along the way. You know what it takes to make mountains? The tectonic plates of the earth rub and crash against one another and it pushes up the earth's crust, the earth's mantle to make these mountains. But you know, that's what people go and visit. We don't really, we look at mountains and say, that is beautiful. But do we understand that it took a lot of chaos to make that beauty? Our lives with Jesus are the exact same way. We have a lot of chaos going on, and God is using all of that chaos in his glorious plan to bring a beauty, a sight of his glory, a sight of his majesty, and a beauty that's in our hearts when people look at our lives and they recognize, oh, God did something. And then we can stand back and say, yeah, God did something. America doesn't go to see cornfields. You know, the field of dreams, it was crazy that a guy put a, a baseball field in his cornfield. Why would you do that? Who's going to visit? Nobody's going to visit this. People will come, Ray. And they did. That's a movie. Nobody goes to visit plains, fields. They visit the mountains. But that's where our lives happen. See, our lives with Christ are an upward climb. There, there are seasons where it's less of an incline, and we appreciate those. We, we really would long for all of life to be a less of an incline. But sometimes it's pretty steep. When Kathy and I were in uh, Colorado last fall in November, we, in Manitou Springs, there's uh, the Manitou Springs Climb. And we're thinking, oh, look, there it is. We see it. You climb up there, and we go and read some instructions. We were not dressed for it. We were not prepared for it. We had like a little water bottle. That was it. We're in jeans and tennis shoes, and we're watching all these people come, and they're in athletic gear, and they, are, they, they have this, the camelback thing or the, the straw so they can have more water, and we're getting a little nervous, like, um, I don't know. We just had some time to kill, so we were like, eh, let's just go do that. And we read on this sign that the most experienced mountain climbers have been, have, have been airlifted off of this climb. It's like, well, we're done. We turned around and walked, walked the other direction. Uh, we're not doing that. But look, in our own spiritual lives, we will look at something in our lives like that type of incline. And we'll just think, I'm never going to do that. I'll never make that. Now, in some ways, we might not be spiritually prepared for that. And God wants to do something in our lives and get us more efficient in our walk with him in order to accomplish that. But the, there's another reality that God wants us to simply trust him for it. Now, it would have been unwise for us to do that because we, we will talk 10 feet up in an incline. We're both breathing heavy because the air's so thin. Like, <gasps> what did we do? But in our spiritual lives, God is saying, 
There's a mountain to climb. Sometimes it's really steep. But his presence with us and, and our surrender in that moment, because we trust him, God, I can't do this in my own strength. I need the power of your spirit to show up. And, and really, I need the resurrection power and the life of Christ to be with me now. God wants that for us every single day, every day. But are we grasping onto that? Are we laying hold of that as well? Our life with God is like a mountain climb. But the overall trajectory is upward. We're going upward with Jesus. Remember, Paul said this in Philippians 3, verse 14. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And he says this in other places, that we, we consider him who is seated at the right hand of God in heavenly places. Set your mind on these things. So this is upward call that we're looking to, upward toward Christ. And I think one of the greatest and ongoing lessons that God gives us in our climb of the Christian life is surrender. The first beatitude deals with surrender. It deals with the matter of possessions. Spiritual possessions, emotional possessions, and I think physical possessions. And when we surrender, we gain everything. We gain the kingdom of heaven. You know, that's what everybody's pursuing on this earth. Everybody's pursuing, can we just have a world where we have no tears? Can we just have a world where we have no sickness? Can we just have a world where there's unending joy and no sorrow? What is everybody looking for? Heaven itself. And we as the people of God have an experience of, of getting heaven and an experience of heaven. You've heard me say this before. Heaven is too powerful to keep in eternity. It spills over into our world today. And it's, it's, divinely, it's divinely, intentionally, desi God desires for heaven to be experienced in our lives. Not to the fullest, not in the terms of, I'm going to be rich and I just need to believe it. Nope, because we look at Hebrews chapter 11, and the people who were in the hall of faith got sor uh, sorn, sawn in two. Some received back their dead. Other people got sawn in two. But both of them had a faith in God. So our faith is not in the, the feeling and comfort that we're looking for. Our faith is in God. It's like we sang earlier. I mean, our hearts were prepared during our worship time. To God be the glory in everything. Everything. God wants our full surrender so we experience the fullness of resurrection life. And he wants it for us every day. And he, he divinely comes to us and he... He reveals that, you know, the concept of surrender is really, think about it, just open hands. We, we hold everything that God is, he's given us, and the promises, we hold everything with open hands. And the possession of heaven, in how it's so powerful, it spills over. We hold all those experiences with open hands. Because God really is God. Like Job's ability, like Matt said earlier, Job's ability to say, the Lord gives... And the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. We have a hard time saying that. It's easy to read. We have a hard time saying it. And I appreciate how Matt brought that out. It's a hard prayer to pray. I mean, yeah, God, however you want to use my life, do it. God says, okay, watch this. Well, I didn't mean that. So look, that's a concept for us to think about as we uh, approach open hands. What in your life would you be terrified to have taken away from you? 
What in your life would you be terrified if you didn't have it? A person in your life? Status in your life? A particular status that you acquired? Or maybe it is a physical possession. If this is taken out of my life, it's not worth it. Now, on the flip side, what captures your imagination that if you acquired it, it would make your life better and easier? So what captures your daydreams that if I just had that, I'd have some relief and comfort that I long for? So whether we're looking at something that's taken away from us or something that we think we can gain, that would just, why we live, Now, as you answer these questions, it reveals, oftentimes is a good way to reveal the inward posture of our our hearts. It reveals if we're really poor in spirit. We can very easily begin to exalt what we cling to in this life, that if it's taken away, life's worth nothing. Or we will exalt, if I just have that, then life would be better. We exalt these things and actually create idols out of them. We sacrifice to them. We spend our money toward them. We give our worship toward them. But here's the reality. We, we use them as functional idol, idols in our lives. If, whenever we're going through uh, any, any type of mayhem in our lives, whenever, whatever we're looking to to bring relief when God takes too long. God, you just took too long to answer, I'm going to go to this. That could be an idol, that we're, we're clinging to idols rather than gripping Jesus. And we f- might find that our grip on things, whether they be physical or emotional, may be very tighter than our grip on Christ. Tim Keller, in his book, Counter for Gods, he has a very helpful definition of idol, uh, idolatry. He says, what is an idol? It is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give. Very helpful to think about and look uh, in, 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 in shining a light on our own souls. We oftentimes in our desire uh, for, for quick relief and remedy to the things in our lives, we will look to temporary things to provide us what only God can. So we look for a fading love to settle our longing for God's love. We look for fleeting praise and acclaim from men to satisfy our longing for worth and value. And we will look to the next purchase to settle our longing for renewal and a fresh start. God, in his mercy and his love toward us, y'all, he will not let us build the kingdoms of ourselves. He wants us to experience the kingdom of heaven because the kingdom of health, health, my words are just not coming out today. The kingdom of self is doomed for destruction. And yet, that's what we seek to build more than, what's the kingdom of heaven I'm supposed to be occupying and possessing, Lord? In the fight for the kingdom of self, we will get into bargaining wars with God, trying our hardest to negotiate with him, to get our desires met. So we'll say, we'll try to pay with our performance, and and that usually comes out if we've been believers for a while. We will at some point say, God... 
I did all this for you. And this is how you repay me. I've done, I've lived this way and I've done this and I've made this sacrifice, God. And life still isn't easy and it's miserable. Where have you been, God? Or we will promise. So we look to our performance for God to provide something for us. God, I perform for you. You should answer. Or we will promise God performance if we just get the answer that we long for. God, if you just supply this for me, God, if you give me a million dollars, I promise I'll give the majority of it away. I promise I'll do that. Just satisfying our imagination. Look, clinging to idols in our lives causes us to miss out on the grace and love of God. And we find this in Jonah, of all places. Verse two, uh, chapter 2, verse 8. Jonah says, those who pay regard, this is in the belly of the great fish, he's saying this. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Those who continually clinging to idols, they leave off and deny the experience of God's grace and his love. So God, in his wisdom, brings situations to our lives to release our grip on what we're clinging so tightly to that's not him. God will allow us to run with our puny ideas of what joy and happiness are supposed to be in our lives. When we, when we fight him long enough, he'll say, all right, here's a little rope. Go see how far you can go on that. But he'll not let us run too far. You know, just like Jonah. He let Jonah run, but not too far. Not toward his own destruction. See, God in his wisdom and his love for us, he lets us run so we can see the contrast of the loves in our hearts. He can see the, <coughs> excuse me, we can feel the contrast of the love. We can begin to feel the contrast of, I really want this because I think it'll satisfy me. And God's saying, no, love me. And he does that with his people all through the Old Testament. They're trying to love God and the things that, thing will, that will bring him prosperity, that will bring them prosperity and relief. And so they're trying to do this both thing. And God says, you can't do both. It's one or the other. But God will gently and carefully show us what the root is in our hearts. Because God wants our roots in him, not in our selfish cravings that cause us to turn to idols. He will let us grab on to false roots so we can remove them in order to walk in the freedom and the healing that he's won for us on the cross. He wants freedom and healing. That's what he wants us to walk in. A.W. Tozer says this, There is within the human heart a tough, fibrous root of fallen life whose nature is to possess, always to possess. It covets things with a deep and fierce passion. The pronouns my and mine look innocent enough in print, but their constant and universal use is significant. A good test is this. How often do you say to God and to others, but to God, my and mine? God, do this for me. Do this for my life. Do this for my children. Because when we, when we analyze that, it could be that we're looking simply for a temporal comfort now. God, just make me feel better about my children loving Jesus. Can you just make me feel better about that by capturing their hearts? So they don't go through anything difficult. Yeah, that's more a prayer about us. My own comfort as a parent. Please spare my children. Now look, I do pray that. But I also know that in God's grace, 
My children will need to walk through some dark seasons in life. I pray for their faith. Just like Peter, the Savior, pray for Peter's faith. When he walked through valleys, see our, our walk is with mountaintops, mountain peaks and valleys. Now what, what my prayer for my children is this. God, when they go through the dark valley, I pray that they have relationships with other believers that will help them walk through that valley. Because in our isolationist society and culture, I read a, uh, an article a couple weeks ago that they're now doing all these tests because of... Uh, COVID and the season that we've been under with COVID. Back in 2018, interestingly enough, interestingly enough, the Surgeon General said that loneliness was a pandemic in our culture in the United States. And COVID, the 2020, just forced everybody into isolation. It forced everybody into loneliness. So now what's happened is this. We, over the course of a year, average, spent 300 hours in face-to-face contact with other people before 2020. And all of them, all 300 hours, have been replaced by technology. So what's happening now is we have, we have the core relationships of our lives. That's our family, our very close friends. Now there's this middle section that involves kind of the people that we know well enough, we can be vulnerable with. But then there's the third section, that's our work relationships. The people that we just interact with in order to get a job done, in order to get something from, interaction, uh, going to the bank or going to the, people don't go to the bank, I don't know if they go inside anymore, but at the grocery store, we have less contact there. We're checking out our own groceries, fulfilling our childhood dream of packing the bags. (laughs) That's part of it. We have no room in that middle section. You know what fits in that middle section, middle relationships in our lives? Church. That's what fits there. People that we can serve with and feel something meaningful is happening as we walk together and live, live life together. It's serious to think about. We need people in our lives for the day we can't see God working. And we start to doubt his love and his grace. And we think he's cruel with his silence. We need believers with us. We need the church in those days. Pray for that for my children. So look, our desire is to possess. What do you tend to possess? What do you cling to? What do you white knuckle in your life? Is God getting your attention in your life so you will perhaps loosen your grip? Listen, he doesn't need our help in guiding us toward the goodness that he wants for us. Because he's steering the wheel and we're kind of like, when I've taught my, my girls to drive, I, I, every now and then, had to grab the wheel. <laughs> every, like, no, don't do that. And I always said, when I say stop, it means stop. Slam on the brakes. Stop. If, if I don't, it's come to a stop. And so they sometimes had didn't figure out that it's nervous. And, of course, dad's nervous. And they're nervous because dad's nervous. <laughs> but every now and then, I have to grab the wheel just so we didn't crash. But we do that with the Lord. He's driving us around. But we're like, no, 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 no. Don't you want to stay straight? Don't take a right. No, no, no. Stay straight. Stay straight. No, no. Don't you want to take a right, Lord? Listen, he doesn't need our help. He doesn't need our hands on the wheel. Because he loves us and and his promise is goodness toward us. 
We see the greatest examples of the gospel principles of, of surrender in the Old Testament. Because when God, when God does something in our lives to get our attention of what we're gripping onto that's not him, to release us, those are altars in the Old Testament. Particularly with the, 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 the faith fathers in Genesis. There's altars all over the place. And in that moment, there's a release that's going on. Something of earth is let off and something eternal is gained in that moment. Listen, I believe God is doing that with a lot of us. Because we are clinging to something that he's saying that's not fulfilling. It's actually robbing your experience of, of his grace and his love and his glory. See, a concept that we see all through scripture is that God tests hearts. He doesn't tempt us. James 1 tells us that he doesn't tempt us. But he will test us in order to refine our faith. Jeremiah eleven twenty, But, O Lord of hosts who judges righteously, who tests the heart and the mind. Proverbs 17, 3. The crucible is for silver, the furnace is for gold, gold and the Lord tests hearts. 1 Thessalonians 2, 4. But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please men, but to please God who tests our hearts a hard concept to think about huh god are you are you loving when you do that because it feels like you're being cruel but are you loving in testing me here's the reality god cares more about your spiritual connection in life with him than he does your physical condition god cares more about our spiritual connection with him than the relief that we seek to our physical condition See, a lot of times our prayers are, God, will you change my physical circumstance so I can spiritually connect with you? And God, a lot of times, says, no, because that spiritual condition is causing you to connect with me. We see this in, in uh, the Gospels when the four friends take their paralytic friend to Jesus. They can't get in the house, so they come through the roof and they lay him down right in front of Jesus. What does Jesus look at the man and say? Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, the Pharisees, we know the end of the story because they're like, oh, nobody can forgive sins but God alone. But I wonder if anybody else was there. The man's a paralytic, Jesus. What's this got to do with his sins? Is, is he paralytic because of his sins? No, it says he's paralytic from birth. Wait a minute. Why is he forgiven his sins? He dropped him down. All this, like you just interrupted this meeting the house is breaking through. It had to be big enough for him to lay them on a mat in front of him. And he says, your sins are forgiven. Later on, he says, take up your mat and go. See, Jesus, is just, he's describing, he cared more about that man's physical condition than he did his spiritual condition. Because the forgiveness that the man needed, that was way more important than the ability to walk. The ability to take up his mat and go. God will test our spiritual connection to him by delaying relief in our physical situations. And he's not being cruel, just the opposite. He's going after our hearts, y'all. He's going after our hearts. And we see, we see this in Abraham's test. Genesis 22, the first couple of verses there. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham... And he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. Now, this is all well and good. Abraham's like, cool, all right. 
take my son. Yep, our promised child right there. Sent Ishmael off, got Isaac. Yeah, I followed you once, Lord, and I didn't know where I was going. So, okay, go to the land of Moriah. That's cool. What you got? Offer him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. Can you imagine what's going through Abraham's mind? Well, Lord, you promised that I would have him as a son, and he would be the one. We had the whole conversation about Eliezer of Damascus, and I didn't have a son. Then Abraham does, uh, he does a roundabout like we do. Like, let me just, let me help God in this whole situation. And Sarah was like, yeah, take Hagar and let's, let's see what happens. So they had Ishmael. God says, that's not what I promised. That's your own shortcut to try to bring about my goodness. That's not the goodness I have planned for you. He actually says, send, when Isaac was born, send Ishmael off. Because he's not the promise. Uh, Lord, I know you're good, but how can this be good? You want me to kill the promise? So what was God going after? I think the key is when God says, whom you love. I think that reveals in Abraham's heart he was clinging to Isaac. And he was looking more at the promise being fulfilled rather than the God of the promise. So Abraham goes and he obeys. There's no backup plan. There's uncertainty about the future of God's promise. What's going to happen here? I'm sure, I'm an old man. We had this conversation too. I'm past childbearing age. I cannot do this. That's when God gives him circumcision as a promise. No, this will happen. And he understood what a burnt offering was. It was to be completely and entirely consumed. Now this is, this is way before the command to not sacrifice children. So Abraham, okay, this is who God is? He wants child sacrifice? I know there's some other idols out there that demand uh, child sacrifice. So maybe God's like one of those. I'm not sure. But thankfully, we know the end of the story. He obeyed in faith. But you know, there's, a, there's a, an inkling of, of a trust that Abraham had. That's why he's called the father of faith. He said to his servants, the child and I are going to go. And listen, we will return to you. He believes something miraculous would happen. I don't think he, obviously, he wasn't, he wasn't understanding. God's probably going to provide a ram in the thicket. So that, oh, this is probably fine. No, the angel had to stop him because he was getting ready to thrust a knife into his child. And the angel rushes down. All right, all right, all right stop. But in that moment, when God says, hey, I see that you're obedient, what, what happened in Abraham's heart in his surrender, I think is also noteworthy. He didn't cling to Isaac anymore because he said, God, you're God. I think his faith in God doing something miraculous, it was, it was already stirring in Abraham's heart. God, you have been miraculous and you've, you've rescued me when I was in when I was foolish with kings, but you rescued him, you brought everything through God. I trust you will do it again. But what he, what he did was he laid it down. He laid his son down in order to get him back. But get him back in a right heart posture. See, Abraham, he trusted in God, whom he could not see, rather than in his son, whom he could see. 
We're called to do the same, to live by faith and not by sight. See, the altar that Isaac was on was the place to display the altar of the Son of God on the cross. Coolly, not incidentally, but coolly, the temple in Jerusalem was on this exact spot. I think the altar of sacrifice was on the exact spot that this altar that Abraham built in the land of Moriah. That's what Jerusalem was, was in the land of Moriah. So God comes back and he says, what Abraham did, all the sacrifices are by faith. All of them, but all of them are by a substitute because God really did provide. That's where we have Yahweh Jireh. God provides. What did he provide? He provided a sacrifice in place of Isaac so Abraham could walk in freedom with what God gave him and could walk with open hands. He does the same for us. So when we, there's usually an altar where, where our grip is released, but we enjoy the biblical principle that loss is gain. Matthew, or sorry, Mark 8, 34 and 35, Jesus said, and calling the crowd to him with his disciples, Jesus said to them, if anyone, anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake in the gospels will save it. We're always learning this gospel principle that we need to forsake in order to gain what we desire. We need to be poor, possess nothing in order to gain the kingdom of heaven, which is our greatest desire. We want to experience Jesus' face, his, his presence that will be with us forever in eternity. We are promised that experience now. Joy, unending. That's what we long for. See, God will not be forced off his throne in our hearts. He created it. He won it. He owns it. And he knows for our good. He says, I'm the king that's in residence on that throne in your heart. He is relentless in his reign on that throne. And he calls us to open our hands, to open our hearts for him. So I think there's some categories. I, I believe the Lord would want us to, to have some prayer together and really a, a response. You know, there's nothing magical in coming to a set of steps in front of a stage. You, know, you may have grown up in a church tradition that this is called the altar. Well, in the, the formal church traditions, there was a sacrifice that was happening up here all the time. That's why it was called the altar. But even growing up in evangelicalism, there's an altar. Why? Because we come and we experience God's presence in a way that there's a glorious eternal exchange. Something of me, of this earth, dies off and something of heaven is gained. So I'll go back and ask you the questions that I asked earlier. What in your life, if was taken away, would terrify you? Holding it like this? What do, you, what do you imagine, if you only had, would provide the happy life or the comfortable life you desire? Clinging to it? So I believe God would say this. Come bring those things to an altar. Bring those things literally come and lay them at Jesus' feet and say, Jesus, I trust you. I don't want to live by, by sight. I want to live by faith. See, sometimes it helps when we get out of our little comforts. 
and coming up to prayer can be a, a way it, it tells us it's a physical movement that identifies something spiritually happening in us and that's helpful sometimes when we do that and it causes us to be vulnerable it causes us to be, to be exposed a little bit no I'm not perfect welcome to the club we're not perfect but I believe the Lord is going after our hearts and he wants he wants us to surrender something so be in the category of relationships, be in the category of gifts and talents. Maybe he's calling you to surrender your reputation, your status. Maybe he's calling you to surrender your desire for vindication. What, it, what captures our imagination is the defense that we build toward other people. And may God's calling you to surrender your desires so we all can discover the blessedness of possessing nothing. Let's stand up together. As Matt plays, let's ask for faith to allow the Lord to do some, some deep heart work in us. Holy Spirit, we trust that you have, you've given us understanding of what we need to surrender. And God, I pray for faith right now to respond to you. And, and whatever we're holding, God, we would come to you and, and we would release. Dear God, this is yours. God, I pray for a, a boldness that says, I'll do this in front of my faith family. I'll do it for my, my church family. Yeah, I'll be known. Because God, I, I care more about your heart connection with me physical circumstance. So Lord, I pray for the gift of faith so we really will surrender and release our grip so our lives are known in full surrender. Thank you. Church, as Matt plays, as the Lord leads you, come up. Have a moment with God that says, God, here I am. Thank you. 
So take my life and let it be all for you and for your glory. Take my life and let it be yours. Just take my life and let it be all for you and for your glory. Take my life and let it be yours. Just take my life, Lord. Stand with arms high and high. 
desire is to get out of your way so you will continue with your glorious promise to complete the work you've begun in our lives but Lord when we get out of your way we, we make way for you to be everything and for Jesus to be everything so Lord I pray against the enemy's attacks as soon as we walk out of this room hit our minds, causing us to doubt your love or doubt an experience or doubt whether you really be for us there in our future is when we need you. God, give us faith in this moment. We trust you. We thank you, Lord. Thank you for your love, your presence, your faithfulness. that we have it's not up to us even though we, we, we bear responsibility in our obedience it's not up to us we're joining God in his mission that's what the great commission's about let's be reminded of this and Jesus says go therefore make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Amen. One thing to, uh, to mention, uh, maybe there's something going on in you that you're, you need some help, with scripture, pastoral help, just trying to figure out what God's doing. Uh, as your pastor, I'm available to you. You know, there, there's a frequent phrase when people call or text or email. I know you're busy. Now, if I'm too busy for you, I'm not doing my job. I love interacting with you. So if there's something that the Lord's doing, my, my job description is study the word and pray, care for the flock. I love meeting with everybody. I'm available. So send me an email if you want to catch me before you leave. But sometimes there's, there's a little something more going on that we might need some perspective on. I just want to make myself available to you. Amen? Amen. Amen. Bless you guys.